The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC on ESPN 13 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, my friends? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analysts work you'd find over at MMAJunkie.com as well as linemovement.com, but on this year's program, the Protect United Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight, because I am recording it a couple hours, actually, after the weigh-ins on what is a Tuesday, West Coast Pacific time. Of course, the fights will be going down slightly forward in the future in Abu Dhabi, Yaz Island, or Fight Island, as it's being marketed as. Um... So yeah, thank you guys for joining me. I'm going to do you a favor and make it an expedited edition, but whether it's expedited or a longer breakdown show like it was last week, thank you, Fernanda Pratis, for joining me, and thank you for all of you who dug and checked that out. Um, either way, I, I always list my picks and plays at the very end of the episode if you want to skip ahead. And if you don't want to listen to anything at all, um, although I guess you wouldn't hear it unless you were listening to this, just a reminder, I guess, for those listening as well. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be listing my picks and plays over at linemovement.com. This one's probably going to drop on fight day um, as well, uh, being that, you know, we're kind of up against it this week. All of us are with three fight cards within a week span. Um, as you can tell, my voice is uh, <laughs> it's trying its best to recover, uh, although not really being allowed to. A lot going on with the fight world and personally, so let's just get on with it and, and push forward, shall we? UFC 251 happened this weekend. Um, also, just want to shout really quick, Aiden from uh, SB Nation Radio for having me on, as well as Aaron Bronstetter, my man, who had me and James Lynch on. Um, James has been killing it as well with interviews on multiple outlets, including onlinemovement.com as well. Um, so, uh, thank you all there. And, and the last plug for line movement, I guess, is that, uh, f- for you guys, if you didn't notice, was retweeting some NHL and golf stuff, uh, also some NBA announcements. Um, so notable people within that space, I wouldn't know. I'm not going to pretend to be a professional, but those of you who like golf, NBA, um, hockey, as well as, uh, I believe stuff coming like esports and whatnot, um, live movement's kind of tackling all that. It's not just, uh, not just MMA. So, um, Keep an eye out there. But UFC 251 happened this this weekend. We went 10-3 and overall in picks, 0-1 in props. 1-1 um, with an asterisk on the 1 uh, in straight plays because I ended up taking a shot that failed, I'll tell you about. But the one advertised hit, thankfully, albeit it was a sweat, as well as the parlay piece and the proverbial parlay that I'm sure me and many were on. A hit, albeit without some sweat. So let's briefly go over that. I imagine the recap will be as long as the breakdown on the other end this week. Um, thankfully, a fight dropped off, so it was one less fight for me to research. And as per usual, I'll come clean with what I didn't research. But first, finishing the recap, 
Uh, USC 251, Kamar Usman defeated George Masvidal. Yanis decision, not much to say there. Kind of went um, how most of us thought, how I outlined on my breakdown on this here show. Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky defeated Max Holloway via split decision. Uh, all the judges had the four, first four rounds the same and disagreed on the fifth, which I found odd. Um, I'm not going to rehash all the talking points, but yeah, I, I like most of you, uh, found the fifth to be more, not clear, but you know, amongst the more clear rounds you can make a case for, for Volkanovsky. I also can't get too meaningfully into this because I haven't had time to rewatch it with, um, the quick turnarounds and the beat that I'm on, it cannot afford you such things. Hence why I, uh, if you saw that Twitter message to John Anik was taking his advice this week on turning the page. John, of course, has been a part of the UFC grind since the Fox days of when they started turning up their schedule, so he is all too familiar um, with the grind, and he is a man who likes to do his prep as well, like myself, so his best advice is to turn the page, so that I, I, I tried to do. Um, so I was not able to re-watch this back, but it looked like things shifted in the third round. I was, of course, just ridiculously high and taken aghast by Holloway and the adjustments that he made, which started to resemble, at least from my initial watch, um, his time march variations that he kind of did to Ricardo Lamas. And when I often refer to Max's building in regards to the leg kicks. So I guess that all but made sense. But Volkanovsky found more adjustments with his left hand and the leg damage. Uh, I imagine accumulated. Got to go back and rewatch. But we saw less of that from Max after the third as Volkanovski was allowed back in the fight. So it was a close fight. I disagree with his robbery stuff, but my score, like it was live, was 48-47 Holloway. Taking the first three rounds, so um, I'll let you guys know when I ever get back to it. But yeah, um, I don't disagree with the scores going either way. I do disagree with people saying it was a robbery. Peter Yan defeated Jose Aldo, defeated uh, via fifth-round TKO. Um... You know, perhaps what we kind of do, we kind of, you know, I um, think like I said last week as I shot at Phil McKenzie with the sadness hedge or as I kind of often refer to it as like um, overcorrecting the steering wheel. Uh, I think we all did versions of this if you were a fan of Aldo. Um, and not that we or I didn't give credit and as well as credence and hope that we could get a classic fight. Perhaps we didn't give it enough though, right? Um and, uh, and yeah, because it, it, it delivered as far as the classic goes and did its job in that way. Um, and, uh, you know, Aldo almost overperformed. And I'm never one to count on him to bring the kicks back, but he was doing a lot of it in the bag work leading up to this um, on his social medias. And like I tweeted right before he started unleashing kicks, you could see uh, from the way his rear toe was pointed uh, that he was going to kick. And, and what I mean by that, folks, is generally from kickboxing stance, even somewhat of a boxing stance, especially for MMA, you'll have the lead toe, uh, lead foot, the toes pointed to the opponent. Um, again, not a hard and fast rule uh, or, or 100% rule of thumb, but just the general rule, right? And the rear toe will be kind of pointed at a 45, not too far forward. And not too far, you know, perpendicular out to the side, making a T. However, the more um, perpendicular it is, the more out to the side, the more kind of teed off at a right angle as far as the directionality of the toes and foot pointage goes in the stance, shows more propensity and loading and thought to kick. 
um, I remember not having like much footage to study off of uh, uh, the dude I was gonna fight, uh, amateur MMA Marvin Eastman's son. And aside from like some wrestling drills and stuff, like there was just like a lot of pictures of him like posing in front of the bag or this or that. But he would have this heavily like teed off stance, and I knew they, they love themselves some Muay Thai over there. So I was like, oh, this guy, not only is he probably going to have a heavy right hand, he's probably going to have a heavy right kick I have to watch out for. <clears throat> you know, um, and sure enough, that was one of his main weapons. So the point is you can tell a lot just from how someone stands, what their intentions are. And Aldo, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was Aldo of old in the sense of kicks, although shout out to Ryan Wagner from the fight site. Uh, at Ryan A. Wag MMA on Twitter, if you want to give him a follow. He had a much more sobering, sad, but more appropriate um, take um, as to why. And and even though, you know, maybe Aldo is not completely shot in the sense of not firing back in a deer in headlights, BJ Penn, uh, he didn't come out and go BJ Penn like I thought, uh, was fearful of, like I said on this podcast. But perhaps there are some, some hallmarks there as far as timing eyes on seeing the timing coming at him and his own admission to these speculations, the fact that he was hesitant to go to a lot of these weapons, even the ones that maybe could have served him well, uh, like more body shots and not just body shots that were serving up within the duchy combo, right? To, to, to serve up and set up the leg kicks or kicks. Um, you could argue that. You know, definitely, but um, he was finding some success, although Jan was just masterfully, you know, masterfully keeping him in the fight, even admitting that was part of the game plan to keep it close. And you could say it's bravado or after-the-fact talking, but I have to go back and rewatch it, but his performance off my initial view seemed to be so, man. He, he earns the right to say that because when he just chose to turn it up, um, you could see it. You know, Aldo brought it out of him in that third round. And Aldo's pockets to recoup were much more minimal. I mean, if anything, his cardio um, was more of the Aldo of old in that sense, you know, um, uh, giving credit slash credence to what he's been saying as far as having to diet. Um, perhaps the weight cut was easier than he thought because he never did these things. And if he never did these things, well, then he's going to experience some benefit from these things. And I think the benefit was more in his cardio than anything. Um, that being said, he still is a burst athlete at heart. Um, and like I've been saying since 2017, breakdown with his first fight with Max Holloway, he needs pockets to recoup and recover. And Jan... You know, like I say with, uh, you know, late great Robert Fallis, when I always quote, picking up the pack and putting it down. When you pick up the pack that hard, you're eventually going to have to put it down. And Jose Aldo put it down in the middle of the third round. Um, it didn't become apparent to most eyes till the fourth. But those know what they're watching. Know that Jose Aldo put the pack down in the middle of the third round, and Jan picked it up and ran with it. He turned up the volume and ran with it. And although those weren't wrong, and they were very intelligent takes, in fact, people suspecting that Aldo would go more to the body with Jan's shelling propensities, and um, that'll be something to look for, you know, especially if we, you know, it's much further from happening now because he's going to face Sterling, hopefully, before anything. But, like, if you were to face, like, a Sanhagen, a long fighter who also knows how to dig, dig hooks to the body in close, 
you know, something to watch for. So people weren't off from that. But the reason why I was calling for body shots on Aldo, even though Aldo shells a lot less, he's more of a head movement. Even with the head movement, you're you're moving your trunk, and that's going to take energy. Not just moving your feet, which everyone talks about with Aldo, but no, moving your trunk takes energy too, folks. And when you move your trunk, your legs are still going to be there, which is what Chad Mendez showed to us way back in 2014, showing that, hey, he's a good leg kicker, but he could be hit too, folks. Um, and even though you're moving your trunk in your midsection, your midsection's still there to be hit. Uh, and, and then furthermore, something I said, I believe, in the Breakdown Breakdown video on this podcast and maybe even on the Line Movement Betting Show as well um, with Dan Levy is that what are the body shots going to do to a bantamweight, Aldo? You know, forget the styles, which are great points on either side if you're calling for body shots. You know, that'll be a theme we'll revisit here shortly in the main event for Ige versus Cater. But when you have a fighter cutting, going down a weight class, it feels like the body shots have always traditionally been more effective. Whether they're a guy like Cowboy, who always kind of had trouble with body shots, he had... You know, he seemed much more fragile at lightweight than welterweight. That we can agree there, right? Or just guys in general who maybe didn't have body shot weakenings, but you know, they go down, and that's where the injuries start to happen. You know, um, we'll talk about a fighter in the co-main event tonight who Ryan Benoit, by his own admission, you know, that's what happens when he goes back down a flyweight. He's more injury prone, riddled with injuries, right? Um, and uh, he's back at flyweight, and we'll talk about that. But, but yeah. Um, so, so again, that's why I was calling for that and the uppercuts, which is what um, started having play in the fourth and dropped them for the fifth. Um, that being said, I can't you know brag about an accurate breakdown because it's fucking Aldo, man. For one and for two, that was a horrible stoppage that just tainted the whole fucking thing. So not only can you not feel good about a fighter you love just going down, like, yeah, Dan, congrats. You called one of your favorite fighters, like, going down. Like, okay, what's your reward there? You're like, yeah, you're right. It doesn't feel fucking very good. And what makes it feel even worse is that you got fucking Liana. Liana, Liana I almost wanted to say Leon Edwards, but someone on my uh, timeline, I want to say, say it was Brad Taschuk. Uh, who was just on here for a top five not too long ago, making making a joke, although that sounds more like a Lance Fischel joke if it's Leon Edwards. But no, it was Leon Roberts, who you should not confuse by looks, but yes, maybe perhaps by two English guys and with a similar name or something. But yeah, Leon Roberts, um, who is an experienced ref, but that was just a bad call. And like I tweeted, that's the problem with waiting for that one hard shot to stop a fight. That philosophy is kind of broken. Um, not that it's a preached one, but it just feels like it's an unwritten one that 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 is a a strong thread throughout these bad stoppages and and referees all the way through the sample size, you know. So that was just awful. Aldo deserved better than that, you know. Um, but good on Jan, man. It was a fantastic win for Jan, and I'm just excited for all matchups regarding Peter Jan. Rose Namajunas defeated Jessica Andrade via split decision. Um, I felt it was a fairly clear two to one, but uh, those I believe even uh, was it, was it Teddy Atlas or someone retweeting someone uh, <laughs> um, just like uh, like from boxing. Uh, forgive me, I'm so ignorant. Uh, but yeah, um, 
you know, making an argument the other way, you know, for hard shots. I, I got to rewatch it. Um, and, you know, I believe Rose fought back enough to avoid the 10-8 despite the, da- the clear damage done in round three. But, yeah, man. Um, good on Rose. Uh, and, uh, but, yeah, if, if I was betting on Draj, I wish that was five rounds, man, because um, it's pretty clear who's, who's going to win that um, the longer it goes. Um Shoot, even if they had a rematch, I, I think that I, you know, I would probably pick and play the other way because I imagine Andrade would be an even bigger dog if they made that fight again somehow. So, you know, there's there's takeaways on both sides there. Uh, good on Rose though. Amanda Hibas defeated Paige Van Zant. Pretty clear uh, armbar. Not much to say there. Uh, Yuri Prokach, Prokachka, as we all, uh, as I take my turn. So we all stumble on that name. Defeats Vulcan Ozdemir. Uh, second round KO. Again, do as I say, not as I do, folks. Because as I did, I picked Vulcan. But with one of those things where I break it down and I go, you know, but if Vulcan doesn't finish him or uh, has to exert a lot of energy uh, in the first, um, perhaps there's a live betting opportunity there. <laughs> and and sure enough, I believe, I think, Yuri was even a bigger dog going into the second. And that's when... um. He was able to dance and cash on a uh, tiring Ozdemir, who I said, again, just because Yuri's the bigger guy and used to fight at heavyweight, he's going to be uh, the better athlete in, in multiple ways, including uh, mainly gas tank. Uh, so I'm not beating my chest because, again, I was on the wrong side, and I even more so didn't ta- take my correct analysis. So um, if anything, it makes me look stupider. So believe me, I'm not bumping my chest. I'm just hoping that you at least um, did as I say, not as I did, if that made sense. Muslim Salikov defeated uh, Elise Zuleski DeSantos via split decision, 30-27, which made no sense. 29-28-29-20. I had a 29-28 Zaleski, and I would actually forgive someone for going 30-27 Zaleski. Uh, I would be willing to accept a 37-27, a 30-27 Zaleski way before uh, Muslim Salikov. But, um, you know, like the joke was going around, I heard many of y'all say it, and y- y'all were right. You know, a guy named Muslim is going to be hard-pressed to lose a decision in Abu Dhabi. Um, I was on the wrong side. I was on the right side of this fight, I guess, in a pick. Um, I'm not bumping my chest because I wasn't confident in it, hence I didn't play it. Because I was initially going in and taking Zaleski, like many of you. Uh, but I got scared away from the Zaleski side of it. Um, Zaleski was much more conservative, which was probably good. Uh, maybe he saw what I saw as far as Selikov being his... Um, stylistic kryptonite on the feet, which was part of the reason why I ended up um, siding with Selikov, albeit somewhat reluctantly right. But how much of it was the fact that these fights, which we'll talk about, <laughs> and we'll talk about my prop play, which will be an over, the opposite of this, where I rarely go under. Uh, I usually scoff at unders <laughs> because um, I'm just not that guy, and I just feel like they fucking hit and they miss way more, you know. At least the good line ones, uh, the attempting points of entry, will miss um, so much more than they hit. And I'm no better, folks. I'm a hypocrite. Uh, and uh, but but yes, how much of it? And I'm not trying to soften the blow. Wrong is wrong. But yes, how much of it with not just this fight? Overall, we were questioning how much of it was the time of night, uh, which we have to you know consider. Um, so there are probably two things playing against it as far as why it was conservative on the feet. And even though Salikov, not as much of a coaster as we like to uh, stereotype these guys, or maybe even him himself. Um, that being said, he's not a, he's not a he nor a lot of these Wushu Sanda Russians are opposed to coasting when um, when given chance, right? So 
So that's kind of what we had there. Um, Salikov did have improved ground, um, like some, including myself, uh, suspected, um, which was enough to get him out of trouble spots and make things kind of murkier, although um, Zaleski still probably had the edge in those exchanges and obviously had the edge on paper. But again, the reason why he couldn't back Zaleski is win or lose or crunch time, you're lucky to get more than two takedowns from him. I don't think we got much more than that in this fight. So that's the problem. You can't. It's hard to depend on that, um, especially when you don't have the game over. Game over, man. Uh, submission game, which uh, Makwan Amir Khani reminded that he can if he focuses on it and st- instead of trying to gas himself out boxing like he had been before, uh, Makwan Amir Khani wins, defeats Danny Henry via sub and a conda choke. Beautiful. Love, uh, I love that when you get the single hook in and you drop back um, for the boa, is what I call it. People call it an arm and guillotine. But considering there already is an arm and guillotine that's much more practical, basic, and burnt into our lexicons, uh, I figure why not Why in, make it further confusing um, and instead go with a sweet name, uh, how I was taught it, um, called the boa choke, which I get... I've garnered is not a mainstream name for it, but it's fucking cool and it's fucking appropriate. You know, a boa like they're wearing those, you know, is it the swingers the chicks wear the what are the fucking what do you call dancing things? You know, the feather boa thing. I don't know, obviously, it's not a dude's thing, but as far as naming the choke, it's appropriate because it's like this thing hanging from your neck, and that's what your arm looks like. Uh, of course, Maquan missed it, but instead of going cow catcher and using the butterfly to you know hip over or reverse. Uh, he just keeps he keeps the grips together, but just adjusts them into that anaconda, keeping his belly over the back of the head for the finish. Smart. Um, Leonardo Santos defeat Roman Bogatov in a fight that probably should have been stopped. And I feel I mean I know I just shit on unders uh, because you know because I was shitting on myself. I feel for the people who are on this under because it should have cashed for you. Um, and Leonardo Santos should have won without having to go through. A couple more uh, fence grabs and ball shots and uh, illegal uh, blows to the head. But there's something about a lot of these guys, man, from uh, from Russia or M1 and a lot of these places, FNG. They're, like, grabbing fences and, like, the fouls are freaking normal. It's really weird. Um, I know a lot of yous who've been at this and watching the tape uh, know what I'm talking about. Um the proverbial one-in-one miss with the asterisks is uh, Maxim Grishin, who lost the unanimous decision to Marcin Tabor. This was my, my fear. I probably should have given it more credit and credence because that is what happened as far as Tibura, um using his belly um, to uh, lay, and, lay and pray. And I show you the back mount. You talk shit about Dan last time on the podcast. Okay, we get you, Marcin Tabor. I know you don't sound like that, but that's, that's all I got right now, my voice. And uh, good on you. Um, still look like, you know, just an ugly slop fest, just like he had with, uh, Sergei Spivak with that, that, that essentially looked like two dudes fighting for, uh, an ice fishing hole in Northern Europe, you know, and Marcin Tibora will forever have that look. Um, good on you, Tibora. And, um, you know, thankfully I went small on the Karadoff, Kendall, Maxim Grishin, but that's what I get for playing a uh, team. Ugh, nah. Oh, wait, I shouldn't say that because, uh, <laughs> well, we'll get to that play. <laughs> we'll get to the next card. Ali Impaiva defeated uh, Mongolian Jim Norton or Kazakh Zalga Zamagula via unanimous decision. That was a sweat. Uh, speaking of ball shots, again, the real loser is Zumagulov's balls. Um, Paiva, man, fucking take your uh, 
seven allotted fouls or whatever it is in MMA, man. Just you might as well take it. And um, when you're betting on a guy to win, you know if he ain't cheating, he ain't trying. As uh, my catch wrestling coach Neil Melanson always said, Carol Rosa <laughs> defeated Vanessa Mello. Um, 30-27, 30 30-26. 30 uh, yeah, pretty clear for Rosa. It's kind of half watching this fight. You got to give it credit to Melo though for really going at it in the third round. Um, was wrong on this side too. Congrats to the again the underdog betters who took Davy dangerous Davy right there. Uh, defeated Martin Davy a third round KO. That was a beautiful KO. I mean, how do you not love Davy Graham? He was apparently a nice guy. Yet I give him this really. Creepy accent there. You just call me your dirty dog and I'll come through. Dan, come on, stop creeping at your listeners with the Davy Grant impression. He's a nice guy. Uh, really happy for Davy Grant and uh, and uh, happy for the homies who uh, cashed on that that bet. Uh, you know, I, I just don't think Dave's going to put it together at that point. It's been a boy. Has it been a tough week for Hawaiians? You know, you you got. Fucking my dude Boston Salmon getting iced out, and then the next morning Martin Day gets iced out. Um, you know, Max gets robbed. No, it's just kidding. But you know what I'm saying? You feel for Max, he goes 0-2 to the champ in a fight that you could have argued he won. Uh, so let's see what happens on this next card as I um, time schmamp here, 25 minutes. Well, yeah, let's hope that this breakdown is uh, faster. It's going to be UFC on ESPN 13, folks. Um, as I log in here, Cater versus Danny. I hate these fights. You know, I'm so happy when guys from Extreme Couture um, make it. You know, whether obviously when it's a guy like Justin James, who I actually know and trained with, um, to a guy like Ige, who I've never trained with, uh, you know, never been out and had beers with or anything like that. And like, I'm not going to front like we're buddies or anything. But, you know, all my interactions with him have been nothing but great. Uh, you know, he would be in a lot, uh, even before he went to the UFC, um, you know, just because, you know, he would come in with Ali or Ali's guys because he would be Ali's guy in Vegas. Um, and just real quiet, humble, super polite, uh, no ego about him. Just, you know, such a nice guy, hard worker. And, you know, they, even the guys I was rolling with were just talking about, you know, it was a moment, you know, um, I was rolling with some extreme couture guys as far as a small that small focus group I referenced uh, the other week or a couple weeks ago now, but you know they just, just high praise on Ega and such a hard worker man, and um, then he turns on the ego he keeps you know like my my old uh, karate instructor says you got to it's good to have an ego you just keep it in your back pocket for when you need it and that's what Ega does man he pulls it out for fight time and win or lose which he doesn't lose often. And even when he does, he is coming forward. He is not discouraged. He's hurt. You can hurt him. He's going to come back the next round. Um, you can get him in a bad position. He's going to come back the next round. You can beat him in there during the round from a bad position. He's going to come back the next round. He almost consistently loses round two, except for his last fight, oddly enough. Although, you know, obviously his very contentious scorecards. Obviously, I picked Ige. Obviously, I'm biased. But at the same time, um, you know, I can... I can put that aside and, and be objective as much as I can be, and and say that you know I, I without any hate to, or, or or shade toward Nixick or Ige or you know any of the team, they deserved uh, to win with the effort. But as far as how I scored it, um, yeah, I scored that for Edson twenty nine twenty eight. 
Um, but that's also because I reward a lot to body shots and watching it back. Um, you know, you factor in that rest. I have a terrible radar for body shots, so maybe they didn't realize that Ige was hurt and they just saw Ige try to shoot a takedown fail and then have to eat, you know, about seven to ten seconds worth of ground and pound shots. Hard shots, but seven to ten seconds worth of ground and pound shots at the end after seceding position for 15 to 20 seconds in totality at that very end of either the first or the second round, I want to say. Um, I want to say it's the second because the first he gets dropped, I believe, so it should have been clear. But, yeah, I'm not trying to rehash that or re-argue that. Um, the point is, regardless of how you score it, Dan Ige is a dog, and he's showing improvements, man, especially in a fight uh, against you know a guy like you can't set, like uh, Edson Barbosa. He was darting out at angles and coming, you know, darting out to his right, coming back with a right hand, or when he would dart to his left, I believe it's the first round against Edson, where he's like almost like stepping out to his left and he's taking that hard angle, and then he almost has like a loose collar tie slash hand in the face, punch hand in the face, whether he's reaching or trying to punch with his right hand, like it blinds him and he comes up with the uppercut and then right hooks his way into space, like it's really sweet. Um, and even though, Cater is completely different than Barbosa. I would love to see that fight. Um, that would be the real test, even though Cater did, has shown improvements to the leg kicks, which I want to give him credit for and talk about. And I do in the breakdown uh, on MMAJunkie.com for the in-depth. If I miss anything here, please go there for that in-depth. Um, but that approach as far as showing the ability to feint uh, and dart off to the sides, as well as work off the jab, which you know Ige does do pretty well, and he's always had that radar. Even like he even shows it, you know, back in Titan FC before he gets to the UFC, he's starting to sh he's shown inside and outside slips with punches attached. Even back in those fights, he only builds on it from there. So all these things are going to be helpful for a fighter that is so potent down the center line, like Calvin Cater. Um, but kind of like I alluded to with the Aldo and Jan, there's going to be a similar theme in this fight in regards to both men having kind of a shelling propensity. Cater more than Ige, although Ige with his height, stature, and perhaps the level-changing takedowns that are likely going to at least come his way a couple times in this fight, right? Uh, safe to say. Um, the uppercuts will also be be, be uh, prime for, for both parties. Um Ige throws really good uppercuts, like I said, off of weird angles. He can tie him to traditional boxing where you slip off the jab, come up with the uppercut, and attach the hook. Ige hits those a lot. And, of course, which I would like to see Ige do more personally because it would make mean that he's wrestling more. Because, again, one of the things with Ige, he's so good at top position, but it feels like he's almost he almost gives more takedowns than he gets in his fights, right? Um, and I think that's also due to him being kind of a scrambly nature uh, of, of a wrestler. Um but yeah, Ige can collar tie in the clinch and uppercut. So he's got a lot of uppercuts. Cater has some good uppercuts too. He mixes in there. They're just so slick. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, the one against Burgos was just beautiful. Uh, and as well as body shots. It's just Cater, he's throwing so many straight shots and he's so slick about it that you don't recognize unless you're really breaking down what he's doing. But yeah, Cater, he doesn't give a lot to go to the body or doesn't give a lot to uh, give uppercuts, which is smart because... Inherently, those can be very exposing shots, especially in MMA when you have other things like head kicks and things coming up the side uh, and being able to flank you on your slips. Um, 
uh, so Cater is rightfully conservative with it, whereas, uh, you know, Ige is, is, is not that he's wild or loose. He's, you know, he's he's, he's throwing body shots, uh, you know, uh, pretty darn tight, um, uh, you know, uh, himself. So um, those are going to be the shots to look for on both sides. Uh, but I do believe that jab is going to be a problem because not just because it's so good for Cater, uh, but I think Ige's aggression may open that up if he can't find his angles or if he doesn't get enough work done early and those angles and feints start to slow down. Cater hasn't had a lot of five-round experience of late. I believe you got to go back to like those combat zone or regional scenes from back in his Dizay. Um, but his, his cardio is ridiculous. Like I said, I would have picked him against Zabit if it was five rounds. Um, and each fight, he's kind of proven that. So uh, now he gets his five-round fight, whereas Ige, even though, like I said, um, I've picked, been confident, confident enough to pick and bet that he can bounce back from the second rounds that he seems to consistently lose. And people, which, you know, it's fine and fair, criticize him for. I don't. Uh, That being said, I'd be lying if it's like, oh, yeah, okay, you know, guy's super aggressive. It's never been five rounds or been scheduled for five rounds. Um, that traditionally gasses in round two. I'm going to be confident for him to go five rounds, you know, in his first time against a a cardio guy who has more experience than him, you know, uh, in multiple metrics. That's tough. That's tough. I love Ige. That's not a knock. I'm not, you know, throwing shade. I'm just saying it for what it is, you know. I can't can't honestly say that. Otherwise, it would be clear that I would just be, be biased and homering and, Believe me, I want to do it, man. It's so much fucking easier. Whether it's a guy like Jim Miller, who I don't know but just love, or, you know, these people from Extreme Couture. Um, dude, life will be so much easier. Um, and hopefully, we'll see when I get back to the gym uh, how hard I get beat up. Hopefully, I don't piss people off too much by this. But, and, you know, um, I've been thinking this before. Both, you know, when, when Fallis was alive, he, he, he didn't. He didn't um, give me shit or anything for picking against Tony. You know, he uh, we actually had some good conversations from that uh, about my breakdown, in fact, and stuff like that. There was no, believe me, there was no shade or hard feelings there. I've never gotten that from Eric or, or Dennis. Um, and I will always, my heart will always be rooting for Eric Nixick and Dennis Davis uh, fighters and these people from Extreme Couture. But part of me, as silly and stupid as it is, um, I gotta do my job, man. Otherwise, what's what good is my word, you know? Um, you know, especially you know, you know. Um, I expect places like Land Movement or other places to hire me if I'm just like, ah, I'm just gonna fucking lie about my analysis and lie about things I have to do with the money, like betting in plays, just just to pick my boys, you know. Uh, by the way, no action on this fight. Um, just saying, you know, so stepping into my head on why these things are kind of difficult for me. That being said, for what it's worth, the risk of pissing off people on my side of the fence, so to speak. Um, I don't disagree with Calvin Cater being the favorite, although I, he's climbing up to minus 320 now, which is ridiculously high. Uh, I think it's going to be five rounds. I think if you're playing... Um, Wow, is the what's oh the over four and a half at plus one thirty? Maybe the, maybe I will maybe I will sprinkle some action. I don't know. Maybe I might sprinkle on that over four and a half. I mean, plus money on 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 decision uh, fight going the distance or you know the over here. I actually don't hate that. I'm sure 
Cater is going to be a popular parlay piece. I'm not trying to talk you out of that, folks. My pick is Cater by decision. I think it's going to be a war. Um, it's just these fights are hard for me. And uh, regardless of who I pick on these fights, you know, you should always temper um, how, you know, because again, I can talk about how I'm doing the noble thing and putting bias aside. No, bias bleeds through, folks, regardless. So um, I always warn you, listen to me on these fights. Picks catered by decision. I don't like it. My heart's going to be with Ige to upset, hoping that he upsets here. May sprinkle on that over. May sprinkle on that over. Um, actually... Pause. Yeah, I think I took a sprinkle on that. I don't know if it'll be on my line movement sheet. We'll see. Um, we'll see what makes it on there as far as the bit, the best plays from here. That's what will be going on the sheet. Um, but, yeah, which, of course, is free. Uh, Linemovement.com. All right. Um, yeah. All right. Let's move it on. Uh, Tim Elliott, minus 125. Ryan Boynoy, plus 105. Um Money keeps coming in on Benoit, it looks like, at least late, uh, recent, recently. Um, wow, I wasn't expecting to play this fight, and initially had a hard time picking because we had to get our picks in early for MMA Junkie staff picks. Um, but I went with Elliot, and the more I looked into it, the more I'm confident in it to the point where I actually played Tim Elliott at 1.25 at minus 125. I thought he was playable at minus 135, but if it's going to keep going down, I will take a dip at what is a low point of entry. Um I don't think I've ever bet Tim Elliott. Um, I maybe pick him half the time, so this isn't any type of bias. This isn't like I'm super high on him. Um, to be honest, um, I kind of agree with people as far as him getting overinflated from the DJ line and ha that having an effect on his odds. And so even when I was picking him, rooting for him or whatever the case was, I, even on those cases I couldn't play him because I just didn't feel like the, the line was right. This line, however, not only do I feel it's right because it's not an inflated Tim, favorite, uh, Tim Elliott favorite line, which you should stay away from at all costs, um, but this is actually, the more I looked into it, you could argue uh, that it should go over. Um, Ryan Benoit, I probably watch, next to the main event, I probably watch most tape on Ryan Benoit for what that's worth, folks. Um, and, you know, I, I like Ryan because he worked with guys like Ricky Lindell. He was very kind to us when he came into MMA Junkie Radio Studios back in the day. Um, but when the more I watched and the more I realized that Sergio Pettis thing wasn't a one-time thing where he, like, kicks him after the bell. Like, this dude, like, he had a thing with, like, Holly Alatang. Um, he, uh, Ashcan Octarian, like, after he knocked him out, like, they had a hard time getting him off. And, like, he went like to the brother and like headbutted him through the cage and like even John Wood who was his corner for that fight was like dude bro calm the fuck down, like it was like you know you know what I'm saying like and shout out to Spencer Kite by the way one of the better dudes on Twitter one of the better dudes in the space of course writer at UFC.com uh, just talented uh, dude uh, writer in general but he had a good um, interview and piece with Ryan Benoit that I read uh, leading into this. And, you know, he feels like he's putting it all together. He seemed pretty open and honest about the injuries, kind of like I alluded to earlier in the podcast, how dropping to 125 seemed to just kind of open up all these energy, injuries for him. It was a prior camp. He was having to go, like, with Canelo's guy, which was a great connection for his boxing. But then he had sex on Jinjira for Muay Thai to go somewhere else for his jiu-jitsu. Then he would travel to Vegas to go with Ricky for wrestling. And you could see clearly he was just having trouble putting things together. Um, 
caught on to his own with what he admits to in the article that I just cited. And, you know, he feels like that's all different now, uh, training at Enzo Grace's in New York, um, which is kind of weird because I don't want to say no shade to Enzo Gracie's, but uh, Enzo not really doing his name too much good right now. Uh, he's quoting with other names and so on and so forth. You guys probably know what I'm talking about. If not, don't worry about it. <laughs> Save yourself. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it, it's not exactly like the most complete gym. And, you know, these guys are there, like, of course, like, uh, what do you call them? No. What's the Gracie? 170 at Bellator. Likes to surf. Ne which is funny because Neiman, Neiman's a Jew, man. Neiman's Neiman's dad's Jewish. Wonder how he feels about uh. <laughs> so, anyways, the point is, there's bigger, much bigger guys there than Ryan Benoit. So it's like, what what's going on with that, you know? And then not only that, New York is obviously the epicenter, which Benoit even admittedly said in um, on media day was, you know, challenging. Obviously, like all these fighters are for the beginning of his camp. Um, you go back to his last fight and was at 135, and and you know he was going that like oh I feel good at 135, um, and again kind of adding on to and only strengthening what's already on the paper, uh, both on his record and what he's saying on record in interviews. But he also says it for his 135 fight that. Wow, I get less a lot less injured at 135. I think I may consider this for overseas fights because uh, for overseas fights for sure. And well, he's got an overseas fight, except this one's at 125. Um, and even within these fights, like he's hurting his hands, or you know, um, he is, you know, Brian Benoit's got a lot of power, and I think that <coughs> excuse me, the knockout will be. Um, His best pass to victory, and he certainly can rock Tim Elliott. But Tim Elliott, you know, he's you can rock him, but he's really hard to finish by strikes. I think he's only been stopped once or so, and he, you got to you know follow up and submit him. And that's never been Ryan's thing. He's never been a club and sub guy. You know, I think he's got a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, but you don't really see it. And granted, like you know, Goldie and stuff back in the day were like overinflating his wrestling just because his. You know, props, I, I don't want to shit on anybody, but I just want to, you know, you got to give props to the commentators of today and, like, the standards that guys like Stanek sent, uh, Stanek set, uh, both Brian Stan and John Anik, as far as prep goes, because otherwise, like, you could tell, like, oh, commentators from the prior era would just kind of get the, the one prep sheet with the one highlight, and they kind of hang, and they just pontificate on these things, you know, and, oh, this guy's a Muay Thai master, and he was a state champion standout wrestler, and this guy's got super wrestling chops, and, like, all these things, and they just start over-inflating it, and, uh, you know, like, the best wrestling thing Benoit's really, really done is when guys get behind him and body lock him and try to take him down, and he kind of uh, weaves his the inside of his leg in to kind of stifle it, like... Otherwise, he's getting taken down a lot. And again, a guy for a knockout threat. He's getting rocked a lot in a lot of his fights consistently going from back in the day, both at Bantamweight and at Flyweight. So it's like, yeah, he's he's one of the more potent threats and it's something to be proud of at that weight class with knockout power. But as far as what he's giving to what he's receiving, the ratio is not that wide as far as even just sampling out his strength of striking. And... I want to believe him with the New York thing, even though, like I said, those things kind of stacked against him. But we kind of already got a glimpse of him 
um, with the New York camp. Now, granted, those first camps, like I always say on this podcast, they're always going to be the adjusting period. So in that sense, he should look better this time around. But again, it's also pandemic era. Is he going to look better? Um, Tim Elliott, for as inconsistent as he is, I, Elliott's consistent. You just can't trust him. <laughs> that makes sense. You know what he's going to do. He's consistent in that sense. You just can't trust him. Benoit is inconsistent and you can't trust him. Whether the bell rings or whether the action's in play or it's out of play. You can't trust this kid. He's, you know what I'm saying? Um, again, he's been nice to to me and, and, and my co-host, so I don't want to talk shit on the guy, but, you know, there's some evidence there, right? In the ring, there's some anger management stuff going on, you know? And I'm an angry dude, too, man. I, I'm not judging. I got my issues, too, man. I ain't fucking judging. Just just trying to be honest here. And, um, and yeah, man. And, and, and so it's like, you know, and like, so, so you go back to that, the last fight, and he's got Gary Tonin of all people, not just anybody, right? From the New York area of grappling. And Gary's calling for things like, uh, what does he call? Oh yeah, you know he's calling for things like you know, Kamora grip, or a switch, and Benoit's like going for like completely different things or just grabbing the fence. Like, it's bad when the the jujitsu guy is telling the wrestler slash giving the wrestler wrestling directions, and those are the directions that he's fucking up the hardest. And that's his most recent fight. And now he's going to be facing a guy who, again, you can't trust him. I'm going to trust him here. I'm not telling you to jump off this cliff with me. But in, in, in a general rule, and perhaps I'll find out the hard way, folks. I'll be the first to admit it if I'm wrong. But, yeah, yeah, from a general rule, you can't trust him. But but he is consistent. He is consistently going to dance, and he's consistently going to go for that takedown and get in a scramble fest. And even against good scramblers, that's a, a, a Tim Elliott can still win those fights. Against a guy like Benoit, who... He's not a good scrambler or a submission guy. He's not going to have those submissions to make him pay, even if he does rock him. You know, I think Elliot gets this. Elliot already had uh, experience um, fighting in this pandemic era. He's making a turnaround. I know we got to be careful of those things, but we've also seen enough people win. Slash, now a lot of people are making their, excuse me, second times around. So I don't know how much we can really live or die on these pandemic turnaround stats. Um, but Elliot looks to be in great, sh- uh, you know, gr- great shape coming in. He's got his, he's got his boy, his, his boys, Krause and whatnot. And then he's also going to have, you know, people that he's familiar with from the extreme couture side who will be there. Um, again, you know, he's coming off of three losses, but th- that doesn't matter in MMA, man. It comes down to the matchup. Um, so you could almost look at it like, yeah, I mean, someone losing three in a row is not the most confident thing but how many people that we think are done that lose three in a row we that we think they're done they shouldn't be getting a shot it feels like those people when they do regardless of how we feel about them or the fact that they're getting a shot or regardless if we agree with it it feels like they are winning those fights more than they're losing those fights right now folks and um Timeli just upped his contract he's feeling good i usually don't like that that's usually an omen it's like a kid it's like they opened the Christmas present too early? Are they going to be deflated now on the actual birthday, right? But uh, stylistically, I feel like Ryan Benoit's just perfect. Unless Ryan Benoit, who's been going southpaw more lately, um, he throws that hard head kick, uh, you know, unless he he tags him with that. Um, Like we saw him knock out Mokhtarian and, you know, Ben Wynn rocked Elliott and eventually got the finish. 
Um, unless Benoit hits that, which again, I don't even know if he can follow up to finish like a Ben Wynn can. Um, I think Tim Elliott wins this, and you're going to give me a low price of entry, like minus 125. I'll take a shot. Again, you don't got to follow me off this cliff, folks, but this was one, you know. Um, and, and I know, you know, uh, Elliott gassed out, but Royville can actually, you know, threaten on, on the feet and on the floor. Um, I think Elliott can get his breaks uh, if he doesn't wrestle himself into a hole, that is. But again, he's not going to have a guy who can scramble with him, much less submit and Royville. Um, you say what you will about his wrestling. He's got good submissions, and his showing his scrambling has been getting better. You know, uh, so for for what that's worth, right? Um, and I don't think the kid's going to be a, a world beater, but he's definitely not a slouch. Uh, so yeah, I, I got Tim Elliott here. Uh, Jimmy Rivera minus one thirty, Cody Stevens plus one ten. I'll try to speed this up. And again, full disclosure, I actually did not research this fight. Um, I may research this one another. It sucks. It's like, Dan, why are you not researching, like, the really good fights? Um, because there's so many fucking, I don't want to say really bad. Uh, there's so many random people that keep getting flushed into these cards, folks, even pre-pandemic area, you know. Uh, <laughs> Failure championships uh, to a certain extent on a, on a large portion of the cards. Not trying to hate. Glad these people have a chance to make money and get UFC wins. I'm not trying to fucking rain on anybody's parade here, folks. Just saying. I'm just trying to be honest, too. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, if I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta figure out or refresh who, who these people are, um, before the people, I go back to people I'm pretty familiar with. Uh, this is an interesting fight cause it's at 145. So, you know, both these guys, even though they're pros and they don't necessarily gas out or miss weight at the same time, you could tell that they're really given everything to make weight and really having to give everything inside the octagon uh, in their performances. Very similar wrestle boxers, uh, counter fighters. Um, although, you know, Rivera can pressure counter a, a little more, I would argue. Uh, Stammen can pressure more in the wrestling and grappling area. However, kind of like my dude Mike Bone, uh, bad to the bone. Uh, Released on stats and MMA Junkie that I retweeted on, on the Twitter handle, at uh, Dan Tom MMA there. Um, Jimmy Rivera, just as you would expect from the stout, uh, takedown defense, amazing takedown defense. You know, you want to talk about camps that, like, aren't wrestling camps, uh, that aren't... Well, Nova and Yao is big name now, but like I'm talking about Nova and Yao in there in that small-ass space. Um, and, you know... Hennon Burrell is fucking doing his dishes in the same place he does his laundry. You know what I'm saying? Like, back in those days, like, I feel like Ty Team Tiger Shulman is up there with early Nova and Yao as far as, like, small non-wrestler spaces with just consistent fucking guys with different styles, frames, and weight classes. All consistently fucking good takedown defense um, and scramblers, you know? And that is Jimmy Rivera, and that's going to be huge because Cody Stamen's wrestling is really impressive to the point where I wish he went to it more. And it sucks because it's like, you know, he did turn that corner in the last fight and use it more, obviously, with Keller. Uh, although there was a lot of uh, boxing and Kelleher was just a game opponent. Um, but, you know, it sucks because I feel like Cody Stamen really opened up both aggression-wise and so, some really awesome wrestling that gets forgotten about because he gets his knee torn up by Aljo. And we obviously have seen how, if you should have already known, but yes, we've seen how good Aljo is. Um, so it gets forgotten about, but Cody Stamen, man, he just, 
he is some really good wrestling. And if he is able to get it to the floor, would have an on-paper edge, but you can't really count on that between, even with his higher output at featherweight, um, Rivera's ideally going to be that much thicker and that much fresher uh, to attach onto his stout frame and impressive defensive takedown statistics. So it's going to be a stand-up fight, and we've seen uh, Jimmy go against speedier, um, more staple counterfighters, and you can argue at the point of their career at that time, although I still felt this was probably the last competitive Dotson. We'll see how Dotson, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see how history continues to un- unfold in this advanced part of his career. Um, but I still thought it was a competitive Dotson, despite being, again, an advanced part of his career, you could say. And Jimmy Rivera's speed and ability to produce offense against a fellow fellow speedy speedier counterfighter still you know showed to to, to 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 not dissuade him and his speed was just fine he was effective um and i think he's just going to steadily outpoint Stamen here of course my boy eric nixick's going to be in Stamen's corner Stamen's lost recently having to do a turnaround uh, Stamen is just a you know he comes off kind of like maybe quiet rough a chip on his shoulder competitive dude or whatever but like even back in the MMA Junkie Radio before the Brian Caraway, you know, I'm sure he knew we were boys with Brian Caraway. Um, you know, probably not an interview he wanted to do. It was cutting weight, um, but was still a really nice guy, man. Never had a bad interaction or heard heard a bad thing about Cody Stamen. Um, just just a pro in the gym, uh, apparently. So uh, you know, if he wins here, I won't be upset. If you're playing him, good luck. My heart's with you. My heart's with Cody. But uh, you guys know I thought, I've also thought highly of Jimmy Rivera, and for good reason. And so long as he is fully recovered, which he's had a lot of time from his neck surgery or something, I believe he had some kind of surgery along those lines, I just think that stylistically um, he could prove to be one of the tougher matchups for Cody, kind of like with, you know, the main event again. I fucking I'm rooting for Eric and and Dan and Cody and these guys. I just I feel like you know the, they're going against very proven guys who could possibly be um, stylistic kryptonite of sorts. I'm hoping I'm dead wrong on that. By the way, I hope I'm here eating a bag of dicks on both those fights. Um, so good luck, good luck if you're playing the dogs there. Um, Molly Machan minus one thirty five meatball Molly. Uh, versus Tyler Santos, plus 115. I uh, was looking to play Molly, but was impressed with Santos, man. Um, it makes sense. She looks like a you know a, a mix of a early Nova, speaking of early Nova and Yao, to like even almost Edson Barbosa in the way that she gallops to her body and build and the fact that how ripped she is. Um, but then like you read, okay, her dad was uh, a Muay Thai trainer or Muay Thai fighter or something like that. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. And but she didn't like start until she was like 10 or 16 years old or something like that, because she spent like or like maybe 16, because she spent like the first 10 years of her life as far as like being able to play sports life, like from six years old on, doing soccer. Um, so I'm like, oh yeah, no wonder why she looks like an Aldo esque as well, you know, winging those leg kicks and stuff. She's got a good jab. Um, she still needs to get layers to her game. She's adding a check hook, which is going to serve her nicely, especially with her being a tall frame. Uh, she's not afraid to be in the clinch, and she's showing some competency there as far as like basic like underhook, swing you over. She listens to her corner, which is good. Um, 
She's really good from the back, it looks like. Uh, is decent from the guard. But, again, you know, wrestling a better wrestler. Um, uh, you know, uh, especially those level-changing shots that Molly McCann showed, showed she can hit. Um, even though she was really strong and athletic-looking Santos, perhaps that taller frame will allow more of an entry point for the more stout McCann, who is looking in the best. Speaking of pandemic era, you don't know what you're going to get. Well, Molly, Meatball Molly looks like she's showing up in like the best shape of her life. So it's really tough. You know, I think October and September is the last time we saw them in 2019. Um, both of them young enough, especially Santos, where she's at in her career. She could be a totally different fighter. So, uh, or not totally different, but more improved fighter. Oh my God, you opened the back door. Brownie, my mastiff, that's what you're hearing. She's, she's crazy. She's a 70-pound tink. You just open the door. Out, out, tink. Out, 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 out. Go outside, tink, tink. Okay, baby girl. I know. All right, I love you. Jesus, she opens the doors. It's like fucking... It's crazy, man. It's all Pat Wyman talking about his daughter starting to open doors, and he used the, a solid Jurassic Park reference, I might add. Shouts to Pat Wyman. That's how I feel, Pat. Except <laughs> this dog, it's like a fucking velociraptor in the house. <laughs> Wrapped in the podcast. Um, she doesn't stay outside, folks. Don't worry. She's she's out there with me, Madre, right now. Um, but yeah, you know, I got scared away from McCann here. Uh, even though I'm going to pick her to win. I, I, I love Meatball Molly. Um, you know, her cardio, uh, she rolls under the twos, which will be good if, if Santos looks to develop that check hook. Molly Kip McCann won't be there. Santos needs to develop check knees, uh, if not for her career, uh, for this matchup. So, or if not for this matchup, hopefully for her career because with her stature. So either way, she needs to develop them knees. I'm going to look to see if she starts putting those in the repertoire. That would be really smart because McCann will dip whether she's boxing or looking to take down. Um, but that being said, if she doesn't stop that, you know, I think McCann is just more experienced and more active fighter. But if Santos can get better with the layers, she's still missing a lot of layers. She's still really green. Um, we, you know, she could show that, you know, uh, you know, kind of similar like Calvin Keita with these boxing centric fighters. You know, um, when they meet a good Muay Thai fighter, it can be really bad for their legs. So, you know, we'll look for that too. Uh, that being said, Molly McCann landed some of her best shots, I think, in her last fight. She's got good counters. Um, as far as firing at the same time, and even um, the Contender Series girl who she beat and looked, had one of the best records that um, Santos uh, fought. Um, even her, she was able to um, hit Santos with those shots. And I know striking was her strength, but she didn't look as good as her record seemed. So between that and the, 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 the piss-poor record, pardon my French, of Santos's other uh, people she fought, like I was immediately looking to fade her, but... I can't, between what I saw to the athletic ceiling. Uh, those can, kind of things can say a lot. So I actually stayed away. Um, maybe I'll play the over if I mess around with parlay. Spoiler alert, I don't have anything for parlays to give you here. I don't think that's going to change by the time my betting article drops. Um, but, you know, if I do mess around, you know, market that over would be, would be some some parlay fodder for me. Um Munir Lazez plus two fifty five, Abdul Razak Al Hassan minus three ten, in order for hack. Uh, 
no, that's dude, that's fucked up. I was reading the story. Jesus, under Zach It was, it was the, the the allegations were scary and fucked up. And then hearing the story, and I'm not judging jury on either uh, on what happened, but you know, apparently it was false accusation, and obviously as bad as fucking. Not even obviously rapes bad, but even just like, you know, male from male grooming. Not that he was accused of that. To that's a popular word, isn't it? Um, to just imposing using your stature as a male over a female in any kind of way. It's just gross and scary, right? Um, but at the same time, man, so it's freaking false accusations. And um, although I hope Abdul Razak can find peace and let go of that anger. Um, and, you know, just channel it for fights. Um, even in for that, like, you know, there's plenty of other places you can draw anger from. It just doesn't feel like a healthy place to draw anger from regardless, so hopefully he can find peace there because I don't know if I can agree with that. It's a very dangerous emotion to feed. Um, but at the same time, fuck. I mean, as far as the mental, you know, yeah, especially in today's social media age, that kind of allegation alone could cause a good person to contemplate, you know, taking their own life, much less uh, in the day of social media. So just be careful who you accuse, whether you're, you know, it's a, you're in some type of a lineup for a real crime or whether it's like 99% of us are lucky enough to just judge from the safety of our telephones and, and social feeds, even from that sense. Let's just be, let's all be careful when judging. Because uh, I, I definitely don't know any fucking facts. But I do know that he's probably a deserving favorite here, despite not fighting since UFC 228. Um, and from what I saw from Munir, which was only not his relevant fights, but like it was like three of his last five fights I watched, he's a fancy kickboxer who hasn't really been challenged, been fighting on that Middle East circuit, does not appear to have a good ground game or counter-wrestling. You know, I mean, his balance is enough to do flashy stuff, but when his balance is po when he's like forced to do something, like <laughs> he just seems like he's putting his weight in all the wrong places. Like I feel like Razak can do whatever he he wants. Um, I don't blame people for using him as a parlay piece. It's just weird with the sample size. That's what's keeping me away from a lot of these fights lately. Is the sample sizes? So I'm gonna take Razak by um, end of the first round KO. But uh, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I'll look at a round one prop, maybe. Look at the round one props if you're really degenerate or something like that. Um, Kamzat Chimanayev, the uh, Chechen raised up in Sweden, wrestling and MMA-wise, training over there at All-Stars. Minus 335. John Phillips, the white Mike Tyson, plus 275. Um, I don't. Looks like John Phillips is his own place, according to the socials. I don't, I don't know if he's training in the backyard of... Uh, and um, SBG guy, what's his name? Connor's coach, John Kavanaugh. I don't know. Um, hard to tell with old John Phillips. Um, yeah, I mean, he's always got that knockout power, but even the bag work he's doing at home, like he's leaning way over his front knee. Like, even on the bag work, he's looking off balance. I'm like, oh, come on, man. Uh, I, mean, I know I. I Fucking knock me silly, obviously, folks. I'm just saying. If I got to be critical here, right? <laughs> it's like at least... Uh, and again, that's something I've been seeing a lot of these guys where I'm questioning their bag work, whether it's Mike Perry or Jose Aldo. Both have lost, right? Uh, 
Obviously, John Phillips is much more closer to one than the other in that spectrum, but either way, it's not looking good as far as common threads go. Uh, whereas Jimenaev, despite being a wrestler, even though he, in the more recent fights I was able to get my hands on, was standing on his feet longer than I'd like to see him, I guess it kind of makes sense because he looked like he wanted, he knew that it was safe to test his stand up in those fights. So from that perspective, I guess I don't blame him. But he does have a nice right hand for what it's worth. Um, he does move pretty well, despite you know. I don't even want to say he moves goofy for a wrestler. He moves well, but he's just got he's very much got that freestyle um, style, if you will. Although much more applicable to MMA than um, like Bogatov's freestyle wrestling that we saw, as far as. Uh, people from that part of the world, even though this guy's not from where Bogotov is from, he's Chechen and raised and got most of his wrestling accolades from what I can see on my sheet here uh, in Sweden. Um, I like his wrestling styles, though. Whether he's in the opener against the cage, he looks like he knows what to do. I really love his riding styles. He stays tight. He stays clamped. Um, he doesn't keep his legs in between for leg locks, but he stays clamped over the near side while either using, you know, he, he'll grab to threaten an ankle, um, the far side, you know, as far uh, with his far side hand, he'll look to punch, make room for a second hook even. Um, his rides, wrist rides are just again, like second nature. Um, so I think he does what he wants to John Phillips. So I don't blame anybody for parlaying there. You know, maybe he'll, maybe he'll do a, a Chimanaya of El Hassan and an over. Imbacan Santos for a full of it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you can't really be too confident. I mean, this guy, um, it could end up being one of those things where he's rushed rushed into the UFC. Luckily, he competes at middleweight, so I think he actually does just fine. So <laughs> I'm going to go with Kamzat Chimaev. Chimaev. Yeah, I'll go with him. Um yeah. Uh, let's go. Ricardo Ramos minus 155. Lerone Murphy plus 135. When I was talking about, damn, why do you stay away from the good fights? This was another one. I didn't get a chance to go back and watch uh, Zubaida Tukugov's fight with um, Lerone Murphy. Although, Lerone Murphy's credit, he will be uh, one of the people returning back in Abu Dhabi. And those people have been doing well for himself, even if it, albeit controversially, <laughs> Muslim Salikov. Um,. But, um, you know, uh, and it won't be as hot this time. So was it like debut? I don't know if it was too short a notice, but it may have been somewhat short notice of a debut. And you're in the hot version of Abu Dhabi. This will be air conditioned. You know, how does that go? Um, however, Laurent, and, you know, and it was a while, a while ago. So Laurent Murphy is in that stage where he could have gotten a lot better. That being said, Ricardo Ramos is also in that stage where he could be getting a lot better. Uh, plus the fact that he recently bumped up weight classes, which he looked great, and but we didn't get as much chance and as much of a sample size. It wasn't the longest fight, right? I believe if memory serves as I go to pull it up to make sure I'm not coming off like too much of an idiot. Um, but, yeah, will his durability be up? Albeit, you know, you shouldn't condemn him for that Saeed Nurmagomedov shot. Albeit, again, a body shot at a lower weight class that he probably shouldn't have been at back to my earlier add that to my earlier sample size canarying in my coal mine of mma theories the dude's five nine i don't know if he should have been way down at bantamweight and he's only getting older now he's going to be entering his mid-20s he'll be 25 in august um so yeah he could be a, a lot more durable we don't know um you know he already kind of faced an underrated guy in jeremy 
uh, Jeremy Newsom, who I think proved that, uh, you know, showed that he can hit himself. And for whatever reason, Lerone Murphy and Jer- Jeremy Newsom, like, they come very similar to me. They both have really good left hands, I think, from if memory serves. Um, and uh, I think Jeremy Newsom is more credentialed uh, and probably better on the ground. But Lerone Murphy, um, from what I remember, not a slouch. Uh, as far as surviving, getting up, and scrambling uh, in return. Um, I'm going to take Ricardo Ramos. Uh, I may look into this fight further uh, before I do my betting article to make sure there's nothing I'm missing here. But I think that uh, either Ricardo Ramos submits him or is able to backpack him for at least two out of the three rounds to earn a a fairly clear 29-28. That definitely has scares. uh, um, but, But, you know... And on a, on its way to there, but I don't think the, the scorecard should be too controversial if it makes it a decision. Again, that is just my initial take, folks. I didn't I didn't fully um, study that fight, so let's bump to the next fight. Uh, yeah, this one's on the avoid list because I didn't study it, and I don't even think it's worth studying because they're two newcomers and on somewhat short notice too, at least for one of them. Uh, Modestas uh, Bukaskis is actually, I believe, the Cage Warriors champ. Um, and a uh, l- lot of striking, I believe. And uh, Andreas uh, Michelada, Michelatis, but I'll call him Michelada. I believe the dude's more of a, a grappler when I read his uh, profile. Um, neither have, like, too many crazy uh, accolades aside from the obvious Cage Warriors uh, title. Um, for the For the favorite... And he's also not fighting on short notice. Um, this is a light heavyweight fight. Yeah. Uh, hopefully there's some fun action. But I'm going to go with uh, Lithuania, man. Um, his his dad was like a no-holds-bar, like Russian champion. And uh guy's got a lot of regional chops. So um, slightly better uh, competition, better organizations. So, yeah, I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to go with him when you know, lost by a leg lock 2016. And, yeah, it's been uh, four years since his last loss, uh, TKO or submission. Um, so hopefully it'll be an action fight, but I'm going to go um, with the striker over the uh, short-notice Greek grappler with uh, less competition. And um, I didn't watch that Marcel Fortuna, but Marcel Fortuna, win or lose, seems to have a propensity for weird fights. And that one didn't get too far in the first round, so I don't know how much weight you want to put into that. So on my avoid list, if there's an angle there I'm missing, then I guess I'm an idiot, but hard to trust, man. Short notice, debutantes, pandemic, it's way too much shit that I don't like, uh, even if I dived into it. Um, I didn't dive into this one, but I have a pretty good idea of these guys. Jared Gordon, minus 140. Chris Fischgold, minus 120. Chris Fischy. Uh Fishy's is a, a do-or-die guy, man. Fun to watch over... Um, when I ran through his fights over for Cage Warriors. Uh, wow, we haven't seen him since he lost to Mach 1 by Anaconda. I mean, yeah, the dude is do or die. Um, I don't think he's going to be able to beat Jared. Uh, I think Jared is the rightful favorite. I may play Jared, but I didn't study it, and I don't know if I could be as confident in this one. You know, I'm not sure what Jared Jared recently changed up his training as well. Although he'll be with his old training partner as far as his corner. So I'm sure you've heard that Paul Felder story. That's awesome. My dude Eric Nixick will also be in there. So he'll be in good hands. But again, AI haven't studied it. And with the intangibles alone, um, 
I wouldn't feel honest making like some strong case or anything. So no official plays, but yeah, I'll, I'll be looking to sprinkle and play for fun. Um, we'll see. Maybe it'll be serious if I get time to look at it a little more here before a fight kickoff. But uh, I'm going to take uh, Jared Gordon over Chris Fishgold. Um, you know, Fish is a black belt under a decent name. Uh, but uh, so is uh, Gordon as far as his brown belt goes. is no slouch. So, And he's a scrappier. I think he's the better boxer. And I wouldn't be surprised for him to either get maybe get a TKO and be on the right side of a TKO for once or um, a club and sub, which I think is more, uh, you know, they're a club and sub or a finish on the ground by strikes, uh, which means there's probably some angles there, like, to play. But I'll see if I get into a, a Gordon inside the distance or a Gordon straight play um, is what I'll be looking at there. Um, one of the few underdogs I'm going with, uh, Leanna Jojua comes in at plus 155, Diana Belbita minus 175. Although I think the wrong, there's a wrong favorite. I do think this fight should be close to a pick em. Like I wouldn't even hate if it was like a minus 115 minus 105 line. Even though I think we should all agree it should be closer, whether you could care less about this fight and aren't playing it or are. I think that that's a common thread there. Could be a little closer. Um, I do also believe that the wrong person's favorite. So if, by that alone, I'm going to take an underdog shot. Again, taking someone off a loss, it's dangerous, you know. I, I know I just faded an FNG champ last week, um, although you could have argued that he would have won, could have won, or maybe even would have won, should have won, or at least got a draw with the ball shots, right? Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to be back in an FNG champ on this this end. Um, I don't know if I picked her or not. I don't think I did, but I'm not going to take credit for it because if I picked more, more ass, um, it was because of the bias because, you know, she trains, you know, uh, under Dennis Davis, um, switched over to Extreme Couture. And in hindsight, you know, it made sense. She's a big bantamweight and an experience, deceptively experienced bantamweight. And you have an under deceptively underexperienced, at least in comparison for that spot, a girl who should be fighting at flyweight, which she's now at her rightful class of flyweight. Then you have on top of it that, you know, Sarah didn't even make weight and is able to get on top. And by the way, again, back with the Abu Dhabi and people that tend to do have done well coming back to Abu Dhabi, um, she's making her UFC debut uh, in that hot Abu Dhabi, and she's got a big uh, top position girl on her in a fight she's already tired. Like, yeah, of course she's going to shoot a bad shot to give up that position and have nothing to give. I mean, you look at how the fight started, you could even argue she was a prime case of UFC jitters. She looks like a deer in goddamn headlights. I mean, she looked like she couldn't even get off the starting block. Um, you know, in the spots that she was supposed to be stronger slash strong in, she was underperforming there, even when winning those exchanges on the feet. So I'm not trying to make excuses, but goddamn, is it right there for all those things that could be deemed as excuses and legitimate ones at that. I think we see a better Leanna Jojua. Looks like she's trading. Looks like she's in great shape. Although she also does, you know, also is a... And I'm not a hating on the girl thing. I'm not, I wasn't one hating on Van Zant. I've said this about guys before plenty of times, in fact. Probably more than girls in this podcast. But yes, when the fighters look like they're more modeling, whether it's products and good on them, make that money or not. You got to worry about that sometimes. But uh, she's growing, man. She's, gonna, she's young. Uh, she's growing in her career. Um, 
She's got some grappling accolades. Uh, listed as a master of sports and grappling, which just means a lot of amateur grappling competitions, I believe. Um, it's, it's, it's not as impressive as like a master of sports and boxing, at least in my opinion, from what I've seen as far as sample sizes, when you see that in a record. But yeah, she's she's the more accredited girl, whereas Dan, Diana Belbita, I think she will still be against a more bigger and athletic girl in Belbita, so that is kind of worrisome if she comes out and starts to be like a deer in headlights again. But I don't think we get that same girl if you look at Jojua, granted, smaller stages, not as good as opponents, but you know, this will won't have the big stage feel. There won't be audiences there, but she will be back in a place where she's familiar in Abu Dhabi. And it won't be as big of a girl or as talented of a girl. Belbita will be more apropos with the regional talent she's faced. Belbita looks more experienced on paper, but she's really only been fighting for a year longer. And any notab somewhat notable name she's lost to and or been finished by. So, you know, again, and, and Belbita, most of her stuff is karate and kickboxing. Um, she's got some arm bars there, you know, only because Ronda Rousey's listed as her hero here. Uh, Jojua, much better off her back, much better arm bars. Um, and Belbita just looked like a fish out of water, was just grabbing fences, giving her back against Jojua. That's going to be bad news. I think Jojua can at the very least secure a backpack or go transfer to a mount um, to secure around and do some damage. Uh, I think she either gets a gritty uh, sp split decision um, and I know people always get pissed. How are you going to say split decision? Like, it's... Dude, close fights um, tend to be split decisions, and those decisions tend to be uh, wrong according to most of us. Like, are, is it really that crazy to predict a greasy decision? Like, I'm sorry. Um, but if it doesn't, um, I see Jojua getting a, sum, uh, uh, a submission. So, I, in other words, I feel like she can either win the decision. Uh, I feel like it's 60-40 in a decision. I feel like that's not too hard of a case to make. Um and if there is a finish, I believe it's Jojua that gets it. And I believe that that's also a more potent pathway for her to win by submission. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to jump on an inside or a sub prop when I just feel like there's a line that's just worth taking a shot here. Um, you don't have to follow me off a cliff. It's only a half unit compared to the 1.25 units I'm playing for Elliot at minus 125. But at plus 155, half unit's more than enough for me to take a taste. Um, even if it's a bad taste, I can live with that. I'm going to play Jojua. You don't have to follow me off the cliff. But uh, I actually don't feel too bad about that. And don't be surprised to see that on the line movement betting sheet. Um, all right, Jack Shore minus 700. Aaron Phillips plus 500. I don't think this line should be that high. That being said, even though Aaron Phillips is short up hole since we've seen him last, he is no longer a purple belt. He's in said time. Earned himself a black belt in these years. Um Got himself on a winning streak, too. You know, he, he had a tough fight where he got his legs kicked to get death by Chris Gutierrez, but has gotten a winning streak since. Um, that being said, the wrestling and the connecting pieces is I still don't like, whereas Jack Shore, he can counter kicks, he can box, and he can wrestle both in the cage and in the open, even in his UFC debut. Um, and I know Noelan Hernandez isn't like Noelan isn't the big, the biggest name, but he's a guy that's more talented than given credit for and can be dangerous in spots. Like I believe he's proven. Um, 
uh, you know, in those spots. Uh, even though I, I picked against him, like with Cheeto Vera, I did say, hey, this Fernandez kid can pop. He's going to get his respect and put Cheeto in some dicey positions early. And I know maybe that's not the best example because Cheeto will put himself in bad spots early. But you know what I'm saying. Um, no land is no slouch. Uh, so I really like what I see from Jack Shore, a.k.a. Uh, the other Welsh guy. Um, who's was awesome interviewing in person. I love that guy's personality. What's his name? Oh, I know. That's going to bother me, isn't it? That's going to bother me. Not Jack Marshman. We got Jack Marshman. And we got um, fucking Jack Shore. Um, Welsh UFC fighter. Who pops up? Who pops up? Uh, uh, uh. Who is this? Oh, oh, the two wheels on line. I'm sorry, folks. This is really bad. I know. Who is this? This fighter? Brett Johns. That's it. Brett Johns. Jack Shore slash Brett Johns. That was gonna bother me. Um, so I do think he wins this fight, but like for a wide line, like he should be finishing this guy right away. But like Aaron Phillips, even though he couldn't like submit guys that weren't that great at submission defense and actually with I forget like his second to last fight like he has this guy in spots I think he should have finished him submission wise granted they were in lower percentage spots especially in men's MMA at the higher weight classes like arm bars but you look at the guy he like goes and gets submitted by his next two opponents after Aaron Phillips so it's like, okay, how good is he on the ground? That being said, he is a black belt, not for no reason. So I think he can survive a round and a half because I think that um, his kicks are going to invite Jack Shore to take him down. And Aaron Phillips, again, man, he only, you know, he hasn't been stopped since I think like, you know, since like 2014 or something like that. And he's super experienced. And Jack Shore, I know he's only been to decision once, but who was that against? Von Lee. And what was the common thread? Von Lee's super experienced. Von Lee's been finished a whole bunch of times, both by submission and by TKO, but Von Lee was able to survive because Von Lee was experienced and he specializes in grappling. Now, Aaron Phillips, arguably his top specialty is kicks because it's not just a black belt in Taekwondo, it's a fourth degree black belt. And he only recently got his black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Nonetheless, he's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. He's experienced, he's got good leg dexterity. Um, and I think he's going to be able to survive. So you're only going to put a one and a half at, on a low entrance. You know, you're going to make it a low entrance point for an over, like a one and a half on a Bantamweight weight fight, first of all. Second of all, you're going to make it a low entry price at minus 120. Third of all, which is why I, I tempted and ended up playing the over on the main event, although I'm not telling you to follow me off that my, that cliff, and I'm not sure if that'll make it on the line movement MMA bet sheet. Um, what did I learn about playing the under, and what did we all kind of learn, is that these fights over in Abu Dhabi, waking guys up to fight in the middle of the night, is uh, perhaps a recipe for some slow starts. And where did most of those slow starts happen? Well, earlier in the card. And why? It's because earlier in the card they were fighting in that 3 a.m. middle of the night range. Where does this wide favorite that is supposed to be insisting, although I would be fair to say I made a decent argument as to why that line is off as far as not who the winner should be, but as far as implying a finish on why it's off from that angle. But where are these guys fighting? Early in the card. They should be going off, I believe, around 3 a.m. in the morning. 
and you're gonna, it's a bantamweight fight with this flow? Holy shit, am I gonna take a shot on that fucking over at minus 120? And, um, and, and, and I did, um, I, I threw, um, I threw a unit on there. I didn't want to go too heavy, but it is minus and not plus money. Um, so I didn't, you know, you, I was going to go 1.25, but I just did a unit. And again, it's, uh, I'm not betting big unit here, folks. These are just a measurement of my confidence. And yes, I do play these things as per usual. I'm just honest about it. And I do the homework and I give it to you for free. You can hate on that if you want. Definitely not telling you to agree on it. Just telling you what I think for free. So you don't got to follow me off the cliff, but that's what I'm playing, folks. Um, all right. Going to recap from top to bottom. How long did we do here? Jesus Christ. Man. One hour and 24 fucking hours. That's way too long. All right. Uh, taking Calvin Cater over Dan Ige, although you guys know uh, my heart's going to be with Dynamite Dan. Taking Tim Elliott over Ryan Benoit. Taking Jimmy Rivera over Cody Stamen. Taking Molly McCann over Taylor Santos. Taking Abdul Razak Al Hassan over Monir Lazez. Taking Khazmat Chimaev over John Phillips. Taking Ricardo Ramos over Larone Murphy. Taking Modestas Bukaka. Bukaki. <laughs> Over Andreas Michelades Michelada. Taking Jared Flash Gordon over Chris Fashgold. Taking Liana Jojua over Diana Belbita. Uh, Belbitsa, apparently, with a silent Z there. Taking Jack Shore over Aaron Phillips. Um, maybe to play on Tim Elliott, uh, a minus 125, 0.125 units. Took a shot on the underdog, Luana jo Leanna Jojua, plus 155 for half a unit. Uh, no parlays for me, folks. Good luck if you're doing it. Um, took a shot on two overs. Uh, Ige Cater. I, I only sprinkled uh, just a quarter unit, plus 130 over the 4.5 mark, because I think it's going the distance. And I also played, officially, uh, Shore Phillips over 1.5 at minus 120. Um, for a unit there. Uh, and the avoid list is Bukaskis Michelatis because I didn't play them. And um, that's it because I still got to research more Ron West Murphy. Don't blame me for playing it. And even though I'll be rooting for Dan Ige, I can't say that I'm avoiding that anymore since I just played the over. Good luck on your picks and plays. I'll be back on probably Friday just after weigh-in, so it'll be another tight turnaround. Hopefully not as tight as this. Hopefully you guys can listen to this. Good luck this very Wednesday, and always protect your neck.